0: I'm a trader, but I clerked for a long time. And I think it's because Kevin looked at me and I was skinny at the time, small. I was a little bit more reserved. And he thought if he sends me into a trading pit, they would just destroy me. They would because there was a lot of hazing going on at that time, a lot of bullying. So I probably clerked maybe a couple months more than other people did. But eventually, you know, he put me in there, and that's how I started trading.
1: You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started.
2: Hi everyone, welcome to Interactive Brokers Trader Insight Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Praisman, Interactive Brokers Senior Trading Education Specialist. It is my pleasure to welcome the co-founders of Market Chameleon, Will McBride and Dimitri Pogamatic. Dimitri and Hey guys. Hey Jeff. Dimitri and Will's careers have had a long historical relationship with Interactive Brokers. From their days on the floor of the Philadelphia Stock Exchange working for Timber Hill, the market-making firm of Interactive Brokers. To presenting a monthly webinar on our options on our IBKR webinar series. Today, we're going to learn all about Will and Dimitri's days on the floor, what motivated them to start their own trading firm, and how Market Chameleon came to be. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us. The th-
3: hey, Jeff. Thanks for having us, buddy.
2: Uh, my pleasure. The three of us go back over 20 years, and we all met as floor traders on the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. I'd like to give our listeners some insight on your work experience prior coming to the Felix.
0: Yeah, so Will, you want to start
3: with yours? Yeah, well, my work experience was, uh, went from flipping pizzas to selling baskets uh, and always dreaming of being involved in the financial markets. After I graduated from college, we were uh, kind of in the midst of uh, a market slowdown. So there were very few jobs on the street. Uh, I graduated from a state university, University of Vermont, uh, and the one job I was able to get was with a uh, an importing company that sold uh, wicker furniture and baskets. And from, from there, I was brought down to the Philadelphia market to handle South Jersey and Pennsylvania as my territory. And I worked extremely hard every day out on the road as a salesman. And after that, I got a job as a, a general manager at Domino's Pizza, hoping to basically franchise with Domino's at the time. This was uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, there was still a market, actually, to uh, franchise with Domino's at the time. And uh, I worked very hard again. And anyone who's been in the service business, the uh, restaurant industry, realizes you are working when everyone else is off. For almost two years, I had very, inter- very little interaction with friends, family. I just worked and had, you know, basically... From Saturday when I closed at 3 a.m to uh, Monday evening when I came back to run the shift, you know that was my time off. and I, I realized there had to be something better. And you know the, the whole time I would read the journal every morning. I had a real interest in the financial markets. And at the same time I was you know experiencing my first couple of years out in the workforce, a buddy of mine who was selling computers, he was a couple of years older. He was selling to floor traders in Chicago and hedge funds in Chicago, basically computer networks. And uh, he was able to get me a job uh, or an interview with Iowa Grain in Chicago. So I went out for a week, was able to get a job and basically moved to Chicago to get in this business, uh, started on the board of trade with Iowa Grain. So that's kind of how I got my first foot into the floor to the financial uh, markets
2: i mean that's really too when you think about it it it, it kind of still ties back to um, you know we're such a big technology firm and it you know it ties back to the fact that your exposure to the floor really you know the original thing was you through a technology firm getting down there and then you know developing your interest in trading and, and different products and being on the sea you know board of trade you know it's really full circle right like
3: yeah, totally, totally full circle. And my my uh, trip to Philadelphia was just, you know, and that's how I ended up in the options business. Right. There were very there were lots of exchanges that traded options for the board of trade. I was dealing in the 30 year bond, uh, working in the pits there. I, I dealt in the the wheat pit, the grain pits, you know. Corn, uh, you know, it was the basically the commodities market was based in Chicago. They did have the biggest options exchange as well, CBOE, and I knew a lot of people who worked over there. But you know, there were lots of options available for someone trying to, you know, get into the business in Chicago. But the rest of the country, there was a a small options exchange and stock exchange in San Francisco, the P Coast, and then Philadelphia had a small market uh, with a a small currency exchange, a stock exchange, but a burgeon in options exchange. And, uh, you know, it was my ticket back to the East Coast was trying to get down to that Philix. And that's how I ended up actually with Timber Hill. I got a job as a clerk there and came back East, probably after a year and a half in Chicago. What about you, Dee? How did you get to the floor? What was your
0: early work experience? So prior to Timber Hill, I was recruited at Penn State. My brokerage firm called OD Discount Broker and this was a full service brokerage firm and they were actually the first ones that offered commission free trading so when I started working there my job was to cold call people and try to find customers that was a sales job and we would have to call them and say hey open an account with Od discount broker we have commission free trading but the problem was that everybody thought it was a scam because back then well, what do you mean it's commission free? How do you make money? When I learned about it for the first time, is the market making aspect of the business. And the discount brokers had a market making arm and a brokerage arm. And their market making arm made money from the spread, right? So they would have bids and asks, and they would trade in the securities, in the stocks, and the brokerage arm would provide that order flow. It was very difficult to explain to people, but really that probably one of the first firms that started commission-free trading. Um, You have to have a certain amount in your account, but once you had that amount, they did provide a full service. They did have research, and if you traded with OD discount, they wouldn't charge a commission Now It's kind of common. People are expecting it back then commissions were very high. You didn't even have, at that time, internet-based brokerage firms. It was kind of done through the phone. Then I did leave Oldie Discount because I didn't like sales. I knew I wanted to, to be involved in trading since I was 13. In college, I studied finance, I, economics. I've also been reading the Wall Street Journal since I was 13. So, that's what really I knew I wanted to do. I had to leave the discount at, at the point because I thought, well, I don't want to be a stock broker. I don't want to cold call people. I don't want to be involved in sales. A friend of mine from college knew I wanted to trade. he's He gave me the contact number to Kevin.
2: Uh, that's, um, I would say that's Kevin Fisher, the uh, manager of the floor of the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. I
0: contacted Kevin. I sent him the resume. He interviewed me, then I got a job as a clerk, and that's how I started on the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. And Philadelphia Stock Exchange for me was easy because I grew up in Philadelphia, so that's how I ended up on the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. Yeah, you're also lucky Kevin had a a soft spot for anyone from Penn State. That's true. He had a soft spot for anyone from Penn State. I think he had a soft spot actually for me because I clerked, I was probably with Timber Hill when you started out. You would go through training, you had to clerk, you would become a trader, but I clerked for a long time. And I think it's because Kevin looked at me and I was skinny at the time, small, I was a little bit more reserved. And he thought if he sends me into a trading pit, they would just destroy me They would because there was a lot of hazing going on at that time, a lot of bullying. So I probably clerked maybe a couple months more than other people did. But eventually, you know, he put me in there and that's how I started trading. Yeah,
2: and I mean, that's that's so interesting too that like, you know, you look at both of your stories, you know, Will, you, you kind of got involved through sort of a roundabout way through technology, selling technology to the floor and getting exposed to it that way. And then Dimitri, you know, you started off on the brokerage side, but got exposed to market making, again, sort of, you, you know, sort of on the other end of it, even though you were interested in trading before. And, and obviously that, spread is so different than now the zero commissions with payment for order that's flow right. that's really the the driving cause of the zero commissions you see now for all the you know all the brokers and you know and clerking too that's it's interesting you guys both bring, bring up clerking because that's really a career path that's you know kind of gone the wayside right like you you know you could when the floors were super active you would start off as a clerk get your feet wet learn sort of on the job you know kind of almost like an apprenticeship you could say it was right
3: exactly like a, an apprenticeship It was the best of times and the worst of times, right? It was the best of times because you actually got a job, your foot in the door to something that you somewhat dreaming about. Like you really wanted to get down to the floor, right? And then the experience of clerking, you know, had a lot of downs too, right? You were the lowest person on the totem pole. Traders were, you know, wouldn't treat you great. You know, you'd be doing, you were at their beck and call to get things for them, help them out. And In Chicago in particular, you you stayed later you 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 know you checked all the trades uh
0: timber hill at i mean we had to check the trades too didn't we d when we were down there yeah, i forget definitely because when we started out it wasn't as electronic as 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 it is today and a lot of the reconciliation trades had to be manually matched up they you had to check manually to make sure that the exchange matched them up correctly that was a big part of our job to do that. So you always needed clerks. You couldn't do...
2: Well, if I if I remember correctly, I think that we, we called it the run and you would stay later and that list would come out and you would right. sit there with paper tickets, right, guys? And literally check stuff off to make sure that the size and the yep. quantity and yep. the stuff. And then if there was a problem,
3: you'd have to go to the trader in the morning, check the other side. You'd go to the other clerks for the other uh, trader, check with them. Uh, and then... <laughs> And then at, at the time, there was, remember, there was only expirations. You're only trading one month, right? There were no, you know, people talk about weeklies all the time. It was nothing like that. It was, everything was once a month. You would have
0: expiration.
3: And on, on expirations, you had to come in,
0: you had to come in Saturday, right? Saturday, you had to make sure everything was okay. It was a different world back then, for sure. Looking back at it, from all the stages that this industry has gone through, it's really an amazing thing to watch it, at least from our perspective, or early 2000s to what it is today. One of the things that Philadelphia Stock Exchange offered at the time, and Will was making this point, was that it was a regional exchange. And the regional exchanges offered opportunities that you couldn't get on, on the New York Stock Exchange because to, to get on the New York Stock Exchange, it was like this exclusive club. The regional exchanges, Philadelphia, SIBO, Picos. They were in their early growth stages. That's where the opportunities were when we came out of college.
2: And you know, during your you know during your time on the floor, you you both saw some really major changes in the U.S. you know markets and option markets specifically. Can you guys talk about so, sort of the differences as far as when you started versus even up to today, and just you know such as you know fractions and multi listing, electronic trading? Can you kind of give our listeners an idea of sort of the evolution of the options market, you know, from your perspective.
0: The benefits of the technology and electronic trading, discount brokers is that the fees to trade have gone down tremendously to commission free. They weren't like that when we first started. Access also is a big thing. When we started out, people were doing trades by calling their brokers on the phone, Then the internet started to provide um, the opportunities for for discount brokers to give access to other customers. And now you have even real time quotes. So a lot of benefits came from technology. From our perspective, we had to adapt to that. So we went from trading in a pit, standing in a crowd with brokers bringing in orders to saying that this system no longer is a sustainable system. Everything's going to electronics. So what we had to do was pivot and create um, an electronic market making operation. So we went from a physical operation to have to do an electronic market making operation. And that was across the board to make things more efficient, to make things faster, more transparent. So th- from that perspective, I think for the customer, a lot of things have improved over the years. Yeah, you're, you're right. And even on the
3: floor, like operating on the floor, when we, Timber Hill was growing so fast, I think I clerked maybe for three months. When you were in the crowd, you were the only person with a, a computer. And, and we were the first, you know, they just brought handheld computers. Uh, Tom Pederfee developed a system around his, his model. And before we got there, D, I don't know if you remember this. There used to be desktops that they would have outside the crowd, and they would talk to the trader and let them know what their prices were. So there was a clerk at the desktop, and then a Timber Hill trader in the crowd with no computer. Well, right. Timber Hill was the first one to say, "I want all of our traders to have a handheld." So we all got handhelds with our pricing. You know, we were the only for years. Timber Hill was the only one in crowds with any sort of uh, computer, but Within two years, probably, smaller, you know, other traders started showing up with laptops. And then by the time we left, literally every market maker on the floor had some sort of uh, electronic device in the trading crowd uh, with
0: their price and their positions. Right. So originally, you ran models on a micro hedge or some kind of a system and printed out a bunch of different values on the on the sheet and you stood it with your sheet inside a pit and try to figure out here's the stock price here's the volatility here's this is where the price should be around and it was very manual it seems like back in the dinosaur age but you didn't even have those computers in the, at the start but timber hill did when i started and that was thomas pettifer he was really visionary at the time and when we started out he was the only one who fed models into a computer system in real time and the traders had those prices in front of them it was much easier and you could enter entering the positions into the computer you could reconcile with a with a handheld device so and and they were hedging everything through their so they saw the entire picture through those handheld devices. It was pretty amazing when looking back how far ahead of his time Thomas Petterfree was, but eventually, right, the industry started catching up yeah
3: it it was amazing, but it makes me think back and to when you when you first showed up in the crowd with the computer, I mean, because it was new, right? I yeah. mean you would get any any made up term they could do that negatively uh related to you holding a computer a computer monkey uh uh you know make your own decisions don't let the computer make the, you know they just yelled at you all the time when you went into a crowd i mean dimitri talked about yeah. the bullying earlier and it was it was basically real the whole time any any time you had to go into a new crowd the day, night before and i can only speak for myself but you would be almost sick to your stomach thinking about you know how the battle would go over the next couple of weeks to try to you know get your position you know where where you'd lie in the hierarchy and uh, this basically existed our entire career on the floor because one thing Dimitri I mean Demetri describes himself as skinny and uh, unassuming and maybe he stayed as a clerk a little longer but you know he, when he had to go out and try to make a living in a trading crowd, he would go into any trading crowd. I mean, between Dimitri and I, we probably traded at over 100 crowds. And uh, it was one of the great separators. And I think it was a great uh, experience at Timber Hill because we were always in different crowds. Uh, we had the ability to do this. A lot of traders who had been there before us, they would go. I mean, I remember one trader in specific, he was like in Budweiser and, you know, trading's good in Budweiser, theres activity all of a sudden activity stops, right? For whatever reason. he's like, Budweiser's dead, you know, I'm retiring type of stuff. like he didn't have the you know ability or the you know fortitude to go to another spot to try to you know make a living. and uh, I think that fortitude basically helped us not only in trading but in life, you know uh, you know what we've gone through, you know, building another business, you know, that fortitude was built early on, thanks to Thomas Petterfee and Timber Hill and being able to survive in the trading world of the trading floors.
2: Uh, yeah, I was, I was gonna say, I mean, the, you know, the both of you were really able to adapt, you know, from creating your own trading firm, creating your own electronic trading firm afterwards. You know, lots of people, you mentioned guys in the crowd that were sort of like dinosaurs didn't adapt. And, you know, it sounds like really the environment and the, you know, the increase in technology is really what motivated you guys to go upstairs, start streaming quotes, you know, kind of doing on your own. And then, you know, eventually, you know, creating market chameleon at some point and and providing this, you know, the service for everyone.
3: Yeah. Well, it was a long, it was a long process and it was, you know, thankfully D's always had a, a a head for technology and his brother, who's another partner is a a programmer. Thankfully Dimitri was able to build a team of, talented you know programmers who uh have and it's been a a long process and again you know looking at it now you're like how would we ever start this right but you know it was never say you know die never quit attitude that helped us do it because uh you know just moving i mean you remember when we streamed our first quote d into the you know the marketplace how stressful that was i mean it was it's incredible right you're sending out markets to the world based on a a program that you've developed and all the interconnectivity and, you know, all the worries that sit in the back of your head when you're sending out those markets was real. And then we slowly built up and built up and built up. And by the time we were at our
0: our maximum, I mean, how many, how many products were we streaming? Indeed? It was, it was in thousands of products. We're making markets and uh, multiple exchanges. I think we're members of the CBOE American stock exchange, the bats stock exchange, so we were streaming at the same time to multiple markets in thousands of products, and it was all done through code. And yeah, looking back, it was very it was very difficult.
2: Where do you see the future of options trading going? I mean, obviously, like SPY, it already has seems to have expirations every other day. Do you think all option classes are going to follow that? You think that you know extending hours? Like in your minds, where do you do you see this in like you know five years down the road or? Ten years down the road, you know how you know how much bigger can it get, or how can it evolve or change?
0: Well, I think fortunately for the options um, markets, there are very innovative people involved, and when since we've been in in that business, there there are very smart people creating new types of products, meeting the demands of their customers. Um, So I think there there is going to be innovation we don't even know about right now in this space. Uh, As far as the trading, potentially seven days a week, 24-7, just like we do in crypto, right? If if you could do it in crypto, you could do it in other things. Why not have it in stocks and options? It makes it, I think, even more fair for people to be able to, to access the markets at any time, when they need to access the markets. And I think that the technology will also change from the clearing perspective. You know, just like we're seeing what's going on in the crypto. I think that that technology will also change make make it more efficient, make it more fair, make it more accessible. Um, So there are a lot of things I think in the future that is going to be a big benefit for the options markets and for the stock market as well.
2: Excellent, excellent. And you know, what do you for for our listeners that may not be as familiar with options or maybe just starting to look into, you know, becoming a little bit more sophisticated investors and, and start to trade options, maybe they were just trading stocks or ETFs at first. What do you think the mi- biggest, you know, misconception about options is, you know, in my mind, you know, options are actually very safe. You can use them as a hedge to, you know, actually limit risk. You can, spreads can limit risk as well. But what do you think from, like, maybe from your viewers that you get from your YouTube channel or just outs, you know, non-professionals, investors that are sort of getting interested in options? Like, what are some of the questions that you've gotten or, you know, just from your conversations with with people? I think
0: a lot of times people have Wrong assumptions and that's because they don't quite understand how things work. They think things are might be simple, so even something like an ex-dividend. People are confused. What is the ex-dividend date? When do I have to own it? Before or after? Do I own it by the pay date? So simple things like that or even assignments and spreads. Some people make assumptions thinking this is how it works and that I think creates this confusion and when things go wrong they don't understand it and they think you know it's rigged. So one is just not understanding or enough education about how things work differently. Even open interest, you know, I always get the same question. Well how come I don't see open interest in real time? I want to see it in real time. But there is no that's not how it works. The OCC, you know, they calculate the open interest, end of day settled trades. I have to explain it to many people. Um, But the biggest I think misconception from the very start, and probably everybody makes this mistake, is that people think getting into trading means that you have to find something that you have to agree with the prices, right? agree with the markets. Um, Prices are going up, I have to get in and buy, that means it's going up. Prices are going down, that means I have to get out, it's going down. And from our trading, a trade is always when you disagree with something. Right, not you have to agree with it, but you're actually disagreeing. In other words, your model's telling you this is time to buy because the markets discounted uh, a security, an option, or stock too far, or this is time to sell because my model says that the premium built into this stock, into this option, is too high and and it should come down to some kind of more normal level and that that is a big difference when you're looking at a model that's telling you something's discounted too far down or or priced too that's a big difference from what i see people trying to kind of go right straight to the execution and chase prices and Everybody, I think that's how they start out, they open up their computer, either they're looking at a chart or they're looking at a streaming price, you know, a flashing quote, and they try to chase prices. And that always fails, you know, that that's not sustainable, it's not a real model, you know, there's no logic behind that. So I think people try to trade on impulse basically that's how they do the first thing they do is they try to trade on impulse they try to trade on instinct and they don't realize that it's not the execution it's really all the preparation for you to execute a trade
2: so it's i mean it's really what you're saying it's really research logic math you know it's it's not emotion it's 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 really taking emotion out of it and going and that kind of leads us to really you know your Market Chameleon um, platform and the information provides your subscribers. And I, I kind of want to know, I want to kind of pivot over here and say, you know, actually, first question I want to know was where did the name come from, Market Chameleon? When
0: we started, the, we were debating what should we name the website. We couldn't come up with a name, or we were, we were throwing out some names there that really nobody wanted to stick with. Well, so we weren't sure. And I was over at my brother's house one time and he had this chameleon of a pet and we were talking I'm like you know we're we're kind of like the chameleon because we always try to adapt to the markets and to the circumstances and that's what a chameleon does changes colors adapts to his environment and i came up the next day and said well how about market chameleon it just kind of stuck and we went with that yeah it's amazing thinking about i remember being in philadelphia
3: when you came in that morning with that uh everybody
1: laughed (laughs)
3: yeah i mean there were you know you know when people were still going into offices we did office and we we were we were trading too right and the trading business was changing regulation was becoming complicated for uh market makers and to stay in that space we basically would have had to hire a full-time lawyer right and
0: uh as a as a market maker broker as, dealer. As a market maker.
3: And, yeah. fi- you know, clearing firms were giving us, you know, it's hard to find a clearing firm. I mean, there were so many things holding us back. So we we were had we, done so much technically in the marketplace to give us, an you know, an edge, a vig in the marketplace with uh, the way we handled earnings, the way we handled dividends, you know, how we looked at the market, our volatilities. We had all these great features that we were using ourselves. And... Um, you know, before we even started the website, do you remember we were trying to sell some of our data, right? And how yeah. hard we, we, for about six months, we would, you know, go to conferences because we, we realized we could deliver our earnings and our dividends, you know, much at a much uh, better rate basically than what was in the market uh, by other entities. But what we realized, after, you know, after about six months to a year is even if we cut it, by one tenth of the price, no one wanted to develop around an earnings feed or a dividend feed from a small no name, you know market make. what was a market making firm at the time? So uh, at that point, we decided to use our own data and build the website. Uh, but it was uh, you know, it was a lot of trial and error trying to, not only the name but trying to get the website off and how we were gonna approach and it's ever changing like a chameleon today, it's still ever changing, right? We yeah. find something else that we think our customers will like. Our customers tell us about something they would like. So it's uh, it, it really is amazing how it's developed and grown over the, the five years now, six years we've been doing this, Steve. How long is it?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a, For sure, I think that what we thought was initially, well, we'll launch this website. Somehow Google will figure out everything we do and send us all these people right? So we go out there, we launch the website, we go live and zero, right? Nobody's visiting except maybe friends and family. Oh yeah. We told, we told about, and like, well, how does this work? And we had to figure out how to run a website. That was the big part. We didn't understand. We entered into a completely new business that it's not just our data, it's analytics and We had to figure out how do you run a website how do you create a business running a website on the world wide web how do you get people to know you're even out there how do you get people to come to your website all these things took a really long time to learn so we were not prepared at all to launch this website we thought it was going to be much easier than it actually was and probably if we knew how hard it would be we'd stick to trading um but we didn't we didn't know we didn't know and we had to learn we had to adapt we had to learn um and we had to get educated ourselves on lots of things that were not even related to trading to be able to make market chameleon you know a research web-based research
2: tool. So really, I mean Market Chameleon is a perfect name for you guys because, you know, you guys have adapted throughout your careers from be- before becoming traders to becoming floor traders to becoming upstairs traders to creating this entire data service, you know, even though it's related to trading, like you said, a completely different business and, you know, kind of learning on the fly and being able to, you know, become successful as that as well. Where do you guys see yourselves, you know, your role as educators within the option landscape, I mean, you know, obviously, you guys have your YouTube channel every morning that you um, go over ideas. Um, you know, we're lucky to have you as part of our IBK, our webinar program, and you know, now we're we have um, we're launching our podcast series with you guys. So, are there any other media that you use to get your ideas out there, or anything that you're thinking of on the horizon, or you know?
0: Yeah. And we didn't start out trying to be educators. It actually just happened by chance, right? By circumstances, we thought, okay, we're going to create this web based research tool for self-directed traders and investors. And we looked at other tools out there and thought, oh, wow, look, you know, there there are these other tools out there that like Finviz and MarketBee, all these tools people use and you never see their their CEOs talking about the markets. You never see them educating. They kind of just exist there, and that was our plan. Well, we'll put it out there. people will figure it out. The issue we had is that we're options focused and we're model focused, very analytical, you know, statistics. and it's not simple. So we were forced to kind of go out there, from the feedback from our customers and help them out. You know, So if you have a website that's just listing dividends or just has an earnings calendar or just reports on earnings, people know that it's simple. You don't need to get out there and talk about it on YouTube every day because we're so focused on derivatives, valuation models, statistics we had to come out and say, all right, we need to help people out here, how we view things, how these tools operate. Well, do you have anything to add? Well, I was
3: just going to say, I was thinking, I mean, when we started, I mean, Dimitri is so customer focused. Any customer had a question, he would basically organize a one-on-one session
0: with. I mean, I don't know how many one-on-ones have you done, thousands? With Probably in the hundreds, and that's when I started to discover, well, wait a minute, the retail customers I'm talking to Think a lot different than I'm accustomed to because we always talked to traders being on the floor. So once I started hearing and listening to the retail customers, I started to realize, whoa, they think a lot differently. They're assuming a lot of things out there. They're confused maybe with how things actually work. You know, just just simple things like I mentioned before, ex-dividend, you know, or or a split or a other type of corporate action. People get confused. Um, Even expiration, you know, or when do you exercise a call? When do you exercise a put? Why would somebody want to exercise it? All this for us was natural. We just knew the answers out there, not a lot of people do. It takes time to learn. Sometimes you have to make mistakes to learn, but from the retail side, I think that's probably one of the things that probably because of discount brokerage, because of free commissions, there's a lack of education out there from the brokerage. You don't have that full service brokerage firms anymore holding your hand walking you through things explaining doing research for you and that's the void right so when you're on your own yes you you get low commissions or zero commissions you get fastest executions you get um, you know trade-through rules you get to benefit from all that but because it's free there is nobody out there holding your hand like for example you would have a real estate broker right so a real estate broker even though they went also benefited from the you know the internet but if you're going to go out and buy a house you're still using a broker and you're still paying a lot of commissions you know you have brokerage fees inspections mortgage fees you don't have that in the stocks and options anymore but you are basically responsible for yourself and that's the trade off stockbrokers had a notoriously bad reputation for leading people
3: down a wrong, you know, avenue as well. I mean, it just cuz you yeah. have a good have a broker, you better be really comfortable with them as well. It's not like uh I mean I remember, yeah. you know, orders coming to the floor, you wonder, I mean, I'm, they were coming through brokers, right? And they were,
0: you know, strange right. at the time as well. So, right, so not all brokers were good. A lot of them had bad reputations. And uh, unfortunately, I think that maybe that's missing in our industry and part of that is because all the fees there's no there are no margins everything became commoditized right so everything has to be electronic it has to um be a lot of transactions and that's not only hurting the investors from that perspective innovations but i think it's also hurting capital formation because when you have new companies People don't know about them. They could be small companies with great ideas, but there's no incentive to educate people about them, right? There's no profit incentive anymore. And that's an issue. That's a problem. You know, when most of the trading, most of the volume goes top tier companies, what do you do with all these other companies that have great ideas and and maybe have very good profit potential for investors, but can't bring them right. to the market anymore. And there's nobody there to... Well, aid. you know, a,
2: big, a big part of our goal, obviously, at Interactive Brokers, is trader education, um, you know, which we do through our, our you know various platforms and our IBKR campus. Uh, but guys, I want to I thank you guys so much right. for stopping by Traders Insight Radio. And I, I want to remind our listeners that all of Market Chameleon webinars can be found at ibkrwebinars.com. Just select our contributors and click on Market Chameleon. You can view their previously recorded webinars there and find their upcoming live events on our calendar and through our newsletter. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Jeff Praisman with Interactive Brokers.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the Characteristics and Risks of Standardized Options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at IVKR.com. The interviewee's employer or associated organization has a business relationship as a client with interactive brokers.